it's Sabrina Hahn and this episode is brought to you by our very dear mates at Bentonite WA who make very high-grade premium calcium bentonite clay, which is 100% West Australian owned and operated. So uh, you only need a very small amount, 3 to 6% in your garden bed. It's all through my garden bed. So check them out, bentoniteWA.com.au. Well, dig that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Sab. Well, hello, Jamie. How are you? Yeah, good to see you. Yeah, you too. It's been happening. Uh, it's been a fairly busy week, really. Oh, I had a day off. Rare for you. I know. I still got up at five, but yeah. I was thinking... You know, I think if you had the day off, you're actually better off getting up earlier because you're really excited to do shit that you never get around to doing. Yeah, are you a list person? Oh, are God, you day no. off and working no, through it? Or are you just no. taking as it comes? I don't like lists. No. At all. Not a uh, I just do like, I don't know, wherever I get taken. Sometimes I walk around the garden and find all the empty cups of tea that I've left around <laughs> the place. But sometimes, like... The other day I thought, I'm going to sharpen my secretaires. Why not? At quarter, quarter past five, that was the job for me to do. It's a menacing job. If someone just walked past and saw you on the front veranda, <laughs> sharpen it. you got a certain look in your eye thinking, she means business today. It's not a machete, Jamie. It's just a pair of secretaires. Yeah, still, though, it's all about the intent. The plants can pick up on it and they're thinking. I like the old-fashioned, I like to pull my secretaires apart, you see. Then I have a wet stone. Right. I like that old... That old, that's what, you know, that's what you imagine your great-grandfather would have done when he was sharpening his razor to sh- shave his beard or something. Yeah, nice to feel a little old school from time to time. They would have sharpened their gardening tools, I reckon. Yeah. See, in those days, actually, you had really good gardening material. Like, you had good solid steel. Now you put a spade in the ground at bloody bends. The good old days, Sab. <laughs> Mind you, I've got my I've got my grandmother's um, crowbar, and I can barely lift the bloody thing up. And she was eighty six and still using it. That, that, that that's nothing. They're going to get you in trouble for previous crimes or anything like that. It's it's all above board. Not a drop of blood on. Not it. Not a drop of blood on it. <laughs> do people do that? They pass down. Have you got other than that crowbar? Have you yeah, got some? I've got gardening I've got equipment. Her hoe. Yeah. Because honestly, the it was really. Thick steel, like all those garden tools were made, well, number one, to be worked flogged to death, so you'd replace the handles. Um, And number two, they were made to last a lifetime. So, you know, when you had to put a new handle in, you just threw your hoe in the fire and burnt the wooden bit off and then you jimmied a new handle in. The good old days, I like it. When I moved into my house, there's like a, a little undercover kind of area under the house the house is on stilts yeah uh and yeah so it's it's almost like a little i don't know trap door or something like that and i went under there i found a shovel found a rake i found what are those big things for trimming bushes the real big ones like the long hedge pruner yeah one of those heaps of stuff Wow. Got me set. How exciting. I know. It was great. I'm still yet to use it. Five years. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Use it heaps. I found when I was digging in the garden I'm in now, because I came in, I like to come in with machinery 
I like machinery. You do. So yeah. I came in with a, the biggest bobcat I could find and we dug down to try and get some mongrel weed that was growing all in the backyard uh, and we found this tin. It was a, a really old, old, old tin uh, about the size of a jewellery box Full of gold. tin. Well, I was so excited, you know, because it was like it might be a time capsule that someone's left notes and stuff or, yeah. or it could be a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm out of here. And do you know what it was? No. A dead parrot. <laughs> <laughs> I found the bones of someone's pet parrot. Wow. So it I put was, it in a little jewellery box. Yeah, and... how cute. And the kids would have planted it and then I dug it up. Yeah, right. I put it back in the ground though. Did you? Yeah. In, yeah, the, yeah. in the tin still? Or yeah, you'd... still in the tin. Wow. Yeah, put the lid back on. That's remarkable. It was a bit bent. I reckon if you dug up my nonno and nonno's place, yep. uh, they've been there since the 40s, there would be... Yeah, lots of skeletons, animal skeletons. <laughs> yeah, animals. From yeah, years gone pets. by, all the pets. Yeah. And and maybe, knowing Nonno, some cash. <laughs> Italians in cash. But I reckon he would have buried it and never knew where it was. So, anyway, I don't want anyone to go there and no, test the theory. Don't go to Jamie's grandparents' place. First please. thing I'm doing when they're. I'm <laughs> joking. Take it back. Out there with a little shovel. That's it. Postal Might need to dinner. borrow your bobcat. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sab, um, we normally have one of your mates coming in mm. uh, and then they become my mates. But That's I thought right. I'd try and even the ledger today because yep. I've got one of my mates in having mm. a chat with us today. Really interesting guy. His name's Trey G and he's got a hop farm down in Caradale. G'day, Trey. Uh, g'day. How are you guys? Hello, Trey. A hop farm. I didn't even know they grew hops in WA. Well, we do now again, thankfully, mm. I think, to the um, resurgence of the craft beer industry and really I think people like my wife and myself and a few other, I think interesting people is a good way to go about it. But um, yeah, I think we're bringing something back that is um, almost, it's almost necessity now, but it's also quite, um, yeah, a venture into the past. Yeah, what fun. And of course, when you think about it, um, before modernization and and a global economy you if you if you made anything you had to actually grow it yeah i mean it's a it's a it's almost like that old agrarian farming like idea like small communities yeah. um but it was definitely like that i think with a lot of different things but um beer was uh, very regional and that was all over the world so beer tasted like it was made locally and uh, i think western australia is no different yeah, uh, a lot of people would, you know, most people drink beer, right? But a lot of people don't actually know what goes into it. And there's, you know, four ingredients in beer and one of those is hops, which gives, you know better than me, but aroma and bitterness and, and really important to, to craft beer. When did you start to fall in love with hops? Yeah, I started to, well, the very first time I really know I tasted hops was when I had a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and it yeah. had been about 1990. I um, swiped a bottle from our neighbor's refrigerator <laughs> and we had skipped school and we were swimming in my backyard pool and we cracked it open and I think we drank maybe, you know, half the bottle. Right. Um, and we just went, Ugh, and we made a very classic um, commercial at that time was Bitter Beer Face. And that was the first time I know for a fact I had tasted hops because the, the secret to actually beer, I think, previous to that was actually trying to make beer that you neither tasted hops nor malt nor yeast. The beer that I grew up on was really clean um, lagers and pilsners. 
So then fast forward, I reckon, five years to 1993. Beer had changed even just that little bit, and definitely beer distribution in the States, to where beer had come over from the East Coast, that's for sure. And the poor West Coast, which was basically being held up in that, held up in that regards by Sierra Nevada, just started getting their beers into different um, little liquor stores. And I remember tasting Samuel Adams at that time, which came out of Boston, Um, another one which was Pete's Wicked Ale, and then Sierra Nevada, and you just, and I think it's happened now, but once you wrap your head, like the flavor profile around bitterness, it only takes, they say, I think, seven times or something, and your your body just kind of goes, I really like. I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that would have been, 1993 was when hops just sort of made an impression on me. Yeah. And you would have seen it a lot earlier than many people here in Australia, because because obviously craft beer, it was on the scene a lot earlier in the United States before it started to, to filter here in Australia where it's, uh, you know, it's really gathering steam at the moment. Yeah, well, it's that, even that concept of craft beer, it's, yeah. um, I think of some of the biggest breweries, they all originated as really like craft brewers that then the term now I think is used, I think it's used really well. But it's used to describe, obviously, those brewers working with ingredients and trying to showcase, as you mentioned, in regards to some sort of German purity laws, there's only meant to be four ingredients. Um, And it's actually meant to sort of showcase, let's showcase the malt, let's showcase the hops. A lot of times, let's showcase, showcase the yeast. And at the base of all of it is water. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting now... um, that you you go to uh, a restaurant or a cafe or a bar and actually have beer tasting palettes. So now you can, you know, get ten beers or eight beers to to try, and and most of those beers are craft beers, and it's amazing the difference in flavors. It's incredible. That's where I mean. That's where I know where we love what we get to do now is put our um, ingredients into brewers' hands. Yep. And that's where the, the, the fun is, just seeing what they can do with it. But I agree. The different flavor profiles that craft brewers can now essentially pull out of the four ingredients. Yeah. Still, minus the beers that obviously have different adjuncts in them and um, fruits and different things and aged in different barrels and even soured now with um, different types of lactobactillus and different things. The four ingredients are really presenting, I think, some interesting flavor profiles. Yeah, brewers are like romantic scientists. <laughs> yeah. That's that's kind of how I'd describe them. So I've only been working uh, at a brewery for a little over a year now. And when I run into brewers, they're the most scientific guys in the building. It's amazing what they know. But then when they start talking about flavors and ingredients and where they're from, this, this romanticism kind of comes out with them. They're, they're an odd bunch. I love the I love romantic scientists compared to arrogant chemists. <laughs> That's what I had heard, um, because of because of the things they're actually overly confident in doing yeah. and putting in a bottle and putting in a can and going, taste this. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you about hops, right? So, if people haven't, most people probably wouldn't have even mm. seen hops before. The first time I saw them was at your place, mm. maybe a year ago. What is a hop? What does it look yeah, like? And, well, and what family of plant does it come from? It comes from Humulus lupulus, which is a it's perfect name for this plant <laughs> as far as uh, the little wolf. Because in, in nature, basically what it would do is climb up the tallest thing it could find. It would run along the ground, but um, it would climb up the tallest thing it can find, mostly trees. And 
inevitably devour it and just cover the whole thing with hops year after year. And what it does is when it reaches the top, so it can, it, it's, it's actually a bind, not a vine. So that subtle difference is it doesn't actually sort of grab a hold of its uh, whatever it's going to do like a vine will. Um, it actually climbs up it. It's got these little sort of reverse down facing really, really strong hairs, if I might say, which actually can be quite abrasive to the skin. But the hairs actually, it climbs up things. And when it reaches a certain point, it goes, cool. And it tells the plant. This is what I love about it. And talking about romantic scientists, <laughs> romantic horticulture is also a whole other thing. Um, but you can ac actually relate with the plant. And the plant's like, yeah, I'm pretty well done. I've got nowhere else to go. And when it bends over and it bends sort of past that 90-degree mark, it just basically tells itself, let's set off some um, little burrs is what they're called. But the little flowers eventually what cones are then formed out of so imagine this plant growing five and a half meters high i mean my wife and i have been in hop yards in france of eight meters wow you know, it's all dependent upon the machinery that we have access to and um yeah they, they grow 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 they will set their little burrs and then from that point in time which is really cool um it's daylight hours until they're ready to go. It really? doesn't need heat. It doesn't need bees. It doesn't need... There's a lot it doesn't need. Um, it needs water and sunshine. Right. So if you've got those two things, they're going to be okay. Yeah, that, technically, they are <laughs> going to be A-okay. And I think that's what we're finding out. We can grow hops, not only here in Australia, but in the States, South America, Europe, um, China. They're growing hops where hops have never been grown before. So... Um are there how many species do you know in the family? I know there's two major. There's right. sort of two major species of hops that they're working with, and I know there's this new one out of the states. Um, it's Mexicanus, so it's it's a, it's a native one to to the U.S. Mm. Um, but with that, I think they're going to. I think if they look at it and they keep looking at things and researching and maybe finding, they could find. Uh, I don't know. Mm. You, you know, I mean, I think we work mainly with two, yep. and out of those, there's about four that they kind of classify as noble hops. Yeah, that then. I guess for a lack of a better words, they haven't been overly worked on by okay, human hands. Yeah. So there's not too much hybridizing and, and cultivate, like having cultivars of... Uh... Within, within those four, but th what we now see with over, I think the last time, well over 90 now varieties of hops, right. that now is the niche market. That is the push. Wow. That is, um, that's, I think, what's taking hops the next level. Not actually the utilization of the old four or five mm -hmm. yeah. it's what the hpas of america of, of the u.s the yakimas um places in oregon even now germany their 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 breeding programs are what pushing hops forward the other thing i found really interesting just just speaking to brewers and people like you as well is how you can have you know a, a certain hop variety but then depending on where it's grown or the conditions of that year or even the patch that it is on that farm, certain characteristics might shine through a little bit more. So you can have a hot variety that's grown in that plot on that farm and it's got you know, more of a citrus kind of vibe to it, but at the other end of the farm, the same hop and it might be a little bit more resinous. And to me, that's just crazy that it's the same thing, but it has these different attributes. And you get brewers going over to these these hop farms in the United States and all around the world, literally going through different 
um, kind of piles of the yeah. same hop and going, oh, I want that, you know, 1A over yeah, 7B. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm honestly now more than I think I was before a firm believer in this con- you know concept of terroir and growing them here. I think is um, it's showing us even chemically analyzed. So we send all of our hops to the states and get them analyzed, and we're seeing distinct differences in the results and the data that we're getting back. Um, to the point where I mean I know New Zealand has just now pretty much renaming. All of the hops. So a classic one is Cascade. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that classic one is Cascade. Um, I'd probably say for the last five years on the market, what you would see is your classic U.S. grown Cascade hop. It was developed in the Cascades yep. in, in Oregon in about 1976. Um, but then you would see very clearly New Zealand Cascade and Tasmanian Cascade. As of this year, there is no New Zealand Cascade. It's called Tahiki. Or Tahike, ah, however, right. they, um, they have renamed, and I and I even, I remember buying them, and I thinking, can you do that? Um, but I think what they're seeing is exactly what you're commenting on: is the concept that yeah, it's actually not the same hop. Yep. You take it out of the ground in Oregon. Yep. You plant it in the ground in New Zealand in those the, the fertile, um, I guess, loam and even ex volcanic like yeah. soil. You get a different result, and their and even their exposure to the UV and different things, mm. and you plant it in Kerrydale sand, and we know we're getting a different product. Yeah, and that's the same with with many plants. Is that adaptation to a different climate and a different soil type? And I think soil type has an enormous effect on the characteristics and behaviour of of different plants. And I think Australia is just starting to come out of that whole cultural cringe of you know anything that's that we haven't made here from the word go you know we have to import stuff but but that there's that real significant flavor of you know our soils are extraordinary um and and we know that because of our flora because our flora is you know, we have one of the most diverse floras in the world and, you know, on one of the seven hotspots. And that's a plant's adaptation to the climate that it grows in. So I reckon it's really exciting to to start trialling growing hops in WA in different regions and just see what comes out of those flavours. And they're quite, you know, they're a really pretty, they're a pretty pretty beautiful plant to look at but a lot of people probably haven't seen hop bushes so describe them yeah so they're um they're beautiful plants yeah the leaf structure is actually quite beautiful that they'll they'll grow up but um if you look at a hop farm for about eight months out of every year you'll actually go what is that because there's (laughs) nothing there we you you cut it down to the ground Mm. but just about right now um depending on where you are in australia even but where we are um they're just peeking out of the ground and they'll just continually grow and they basically set off two leaf sets and then they'll kind of grow and you want to control that as well so because every leaf set is where you're going to get hops. So um, you want to control the node sets, basically. Yep. Not too much nitrogen, guys. Um, but so th- those leaf sets and the nodes will grow up to the point where then they'll produce these beautiful little burrs, which are gorgeous and among themselves. It's like the, 
the flower of a fruit tree or mm. something that then you know almost right at the burr stage what kind of hops you're going to have. And then they develop and those burrs produce these beautiful, and I guess that's how they get their name, hop cones, but these little conical shapes. And even amongst varieties, which is great, they're subtly different, ranging from a really well-grown and well-known hop around the world called Cluster, um, which was grown here from the 50s all the way to the 70s for Swan Draft. It's beautiful. It's round. It's quite bulbous. It goes golden. Um, it's gorgeous. All the way extreme to Nugget, which is just a triangular, compact, perfectly named hop, really dense, and into the gorgeous sort of cascades, which are really elongated cones, bright green, and then full of yellow lupulin, which is what the brewers are after. Yeah, the smell when you head to a hop farm is one of the great things as well. Wind the windows down and you can, yeah, just get carried away with it. Yeah, Makes the right you a little time sleepy sometimes too. Yeah. What's that? Makes you a little sleepy sometimes too. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the age-old thing because it has a sedative effect and, um, and whatnot. And um, the English had it right, I think, when they were making little hot pillows and things like that at the right times of year and just um, not necessarily sleeping on them, but just having them around the bed and things. And hops and tea is quite common as well. Yeah. Um, you can see it in certain sort of sleepy time teas for sure with right. not... Not too much because it will have a bitterness. <laughs> it will have a bitterness and it is quite sedative. I mean, we do notice that in harvest time and I know you were around, but it, it makes me think of our first harvest we had, which we um, lovingly actually, that we were the first, I think, commercially harvested hops since about 1979 that then went into a Gage Rhodes. They called it oh, Blackwood wow. Wet Hop Ale. But that was our first year we still, you, yeah. you know, worked with these guys. And, but I still remember the first harvest parties we had. That's what we call them to get um, harvesters down. That is quite a party. Um, we had sort of extravagant plans to stay up all night and barbecue and party. And everyone was asleep by about 7 p.m. Best night's sleep I ever had. It's <laughs> harvesting hops down at your place, I reckon. So is it a bit like olives? Do you have to, you know, once the harvest, once you've done the harvest, how, how long have you got before then you, you start putting them in with the, with the blend? Yeah, um, there's a few different ways to go about this. I am probably one of the more really conservative kind of guys out there because you read different people doing different things. I then kind of go back to how has it been done probably the last at least two or three decades and there's really two ways that's it it's either pick them and use them now so right. as a fresh hop it doesn't have a very long life like almost any fresh flower any fresh really subtle um, sort of petaled plant it doesn't live well it starts to wilt and with hops it actually goes from and this is where i try to stay conservative it goes from an absolutely gorgeous beautiful smelling flour to onions and garlicky oh, wow. within 48 hours oh. um, they produce heat themselves as like they're sitting there they'll actually heat up and yeah so as far as using them fresh what we call wet hops and things yeah. i would say you have they, they say you have a 24-hour window if kept rather cool and sort of even air circulated through it ours is working with gauge roads and atomic We've had them in the kettle within probably six hours from when they were picked. Wow. And yeah. that's probably, in my opinion, it's if anybody approaches us wanting to do it, that's where we head down. Yeah, yeah. Fresh picked in the kettle within yeah. six to 12 hours. Yeah. Conversely to that, 
when you go down the dried path, and that's traditionally having been done forever because that's how they're stored, transported, and best utilized all year, um, I still think there is a huge sort of zone of needing to do it right to end up with a really good product. I think you need to pick them. You need to get rid of between 70 and 80% of that moisture as quickly and as low temp as you can because of the oils. This, again, we talk about lupulin, but that's just one of many of the oils that are actually found in the plant. Um, Those molecules just, they're so volatile, you lose them as soon as heat sort of gets in through them. So you try to play this balancing game of we want them dry as quickly as we can, as little as heat as we can use. So ours, we have it basically set at around 40 degrees centigrade, and we're finding we can dry them overnight, bring them back to room temperature over about 24 hours, and then for us, get them packaged as quickly as we can, and then keeping them between sort of two and negative two and negative 12 once they're dried. As people are experimenting with freezing wet hops, I don't myself, um, but they, they tend to say that if you can keep them between positive two and negative two, that's where they want to live. Yeah, use them fast. Yeah, I'd say it, use them fast and celebrate yeah. that concept of yeah. harvest time. Yeah. And that start to finish kind of thing. You know, it's pretty cool to be able to grow something, pick something and then chuck it in a beer, you know, that quickly. It's, it's a bit different to how it's normally done. Um, I just want to go back to the start a little bit because you mentioned it had been, you know, decades since anyone was really growing hops here in WA. What made you even consider it and then do it? And were you, were you surprised at how it came together? Yeah, um, I tried to grow hops, uh, like get, dating it back to when I got turned on to it. I got turned on to um, homebrewing. My dad bought me a kit when I was 19. The local homebrew shop in Reno, Nevada, shout out, Reno Homebrew. Um, <laughs> Had a little supply of hop rhizomes, and I managed to kill something that is really easy to grow. So I thought, and, and, I, and I pride myself on having a green thumb, and I went, okay, okay, maybe it's not for me. Fast forward probably, you know, 17 years, but I ended up here in 2001. And yeah, where my wife and I bought, we had a north-facing side of our wall, and I thought, I want to grow some green shade a gentleman down in uh, Albany called uh, Rupert was um, selling rhizomes. And he was the guy in WA because nothing could come in um, out of state because it's a soil-based sort of rhizome that uh, it's a no-no. Um, so, yeah, Rupert got us, got me some. I started growing them in Doubleview where we live, and I still grow them to this day right. there. Right, so you're growing some in the burbs. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was getting results that were just great. And I was putting them fresh hops in my beer, and people were like, what is, you know, what is going on with this guy growing hops up the side of his house? <laughs> How and, cool is that? Yeah, yeah, and I still do. They're actually going wow. nuts right now. But, um, yeah, my wife and I looked at each other, and we had two things going and we're like, we we love travel and we want to stay connected to it, but maybe be that place where people travel to. And we, we love hops. We love hops and beer and thought, you know what, let's just make this a go. We know they grow so many naysayers saying you can't grow them above the 34th parallel, you know, within latitudes. They, that's why they're in New Zealand and Tasmania and quite low in Victoria. They need to go dormant. So they need to sit in like a, a frozen incubator, so to speak, over winter, which that's never going to happen. No, in certainly not in double view. No, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um, there's so many of the, the people that says no. But everything that we were doing said yes. So we just bought a plot of land. It had the right amount of water, the right amount of land for us to have a go. 
And the very first year, we were harvesting and getting it into beers. And then Caradale is what it is now. That's yeah. pretty cool. Do you see that a little bit? A lot of people, when they're in their gardens, they get told, you can't do that. Yeah. And you just have a dig and sometimes yep. it works out. Yep. Yep. I've got two Madagascan boab trees on my front verge and I was told repeatedly you won't be able to grow those. Mind you, I did lose one along the journey. But I think it's, I think what we forget is that plants are actually, they're, they're clever. Plants are bloody, they're a lot cleverer than what we are and they adapt a lot faster than the human species. So, and I think that's wonderful if you've got the challenge of, you know, I've been told it won't grow, no one else is growing them, but I'm going to have a crack at it. And because, you know, your legs aren't going to drop off if they die. And quite often it's just a matter of persevering and finding the spot or the, you know, the soil or the angle of the sun or... And that's the whole... That's the joy of a challenge of of having having a go at it and then watching the adaptation of plants to their new environment. That's what I get really excited about is is to see that. And I think, you know, everything that you're talking about with that, that thing of, well, no one else is doing it, but it doesn't mean that it can't be done. Yeah, and, and, and I guess I, I, I loosely lip said maybe no one else was doing it. Obviously, like uh, home brewers oh, yeah, and people yeah. at their yeah. house, you know, yeah. were doing it. So that, you know, that, that gives you a little bit of self-confidence. Um, at the same time, as you call it, like even a challenge and things, it, it was. I remember contacting, this would have been in 2000, maybe 11, 12 is when we first really started to go, I want to do it. Didn't happen until 2015, but 11 and 12 is when I really started to want to do it. And I remember contacting HBA, the old... Um, the old farm manager there. And it was just one of those things, don't want anything to do with anybody that wants to grow hops commercially because they are um, truly, and they're a big organization and they are part of what has made even hops back on the radar with these galaxies and Ellas and these beautiful hops that they've spent years to design and sort of make. They also, um, you know, spent years buying up a lot of independent hop farms and making, looking at it as a big picture. Whereas I remember seeking help from them and assistance and it just didn't come good. <laughs> there was one other person growing them here um, a little bit and I remember seeking them and it just wasn't on the cards. So I just thought, you know what, we're going to do it anyways. And ex- the exact same year we were going to do it, Hamish Coates down in... Um, I think it would be called North Jindong, maybe, but Bustleton. Uh, he started a concept if he wanted to grow hops, grow barley, make beer, do the whole thing, ground a glass. You know, everything we grow, we brew. And he planted some hops, and we connected, and we talked, and he was like the first person that was freely just sharing this. And he was coming from farming background, degree yep. in science, I think engineering and things. He knew what he was getting into. And he was the first person I chatted to that I just went, yes. So what was then a challenge, also then slowly but surely, you start to build this little community of people. And I will stress that. And you would know that when you were down there for harvesting, Jamie, it's a community effort. Hop farming on a small scale and even the largest scale at the HPAs and things, it's a community. No one does it at a commercial scale by themselves. I think that is so beautiful that... That idea of building community and sharing information. And Mm. that's, you know, uh, uh, gardeners do that. Gardeners share information. And, 
you know, back in your grandparents' day, Jamie, you would have these community days where everyone would bring their tomatoes and they'd all make passata or, you know, everyone would bring all their produce and, and as a group would, would make whatever it was using that produce that was there. And that's how it would have been 100 years ago as well and the same with the hop growers it's cool you do see it around you know the what you're just talking about with what you've been doing trey i remember um working as a reporter down in bunbury and there was a family living there that had a few pigs and they would have what they called porkers day you know where they would bring the pigs other people would bring other ingredients from things that were grown they would make sausages get together have like a huge dinner together and a few beers and you know it's just away from anyone who lived in that kind of patch to do their bit hang out and you know, kind of celebrate it all together. Yeah, no, it is. In the community now, we can actually say, yeah, we're actually a community. I mean, we've got Aaron Davies at Preston Valley Hops growing them in Donnybrook. We've got, um, I can't remember their names, sorry guys, down in, the, um, in Denmark, um, Great Southern Hops, which, yeah, that idea that they came to us and they went, oh, can we buy some rhizomes? And I remember still talking to them and said, how about we do this? I have X amount of rhizomes I'm trying to sell. You dig up as many rhizomes as you can do, go through, fill my orders, and take the rest. Because what I did find when I first set it up was it was very hard to be able to buy so much to then try to turn it into a farm. You need to buy buy very small and take years of propagating and do it. Things are changing, but I just thought, like, they're not going to be able to buy enough to, like, do what they want to do. And they knew that, and they were very cool, um, a young couple. And I felt, like, really good about that. And now, with even Aaron and Donnybrook, we're like, let's clone these hops. Let's let's put them through a cloning process and start having hop plants instead of rhizome. That's opening new pathways right there. And now we're looking at a brewery called Wild Hop Brewing Company and Yelling Up. They grow hops. And we worked with them, and they're great guys, and they're growing hops for themselves. And that are hops going into their beer. Hamish Coates growing hops that goes into his beer. Um, As I said, myself, Preston Valley and Great Southern growing hops and trying to get them into brewers' hands. Mm. And I use the word trying. No, we, we don't really have to try. Um, even a good example was the Fremantle Brewing Festival that just happened. Randomly got a, you know, a, from a friend of a friend of a friend, Whalebone Brewing up in Exmouth is traveling down and they're oh, going, wow. can we get some hops from Carydale to put into some beer in a very different way, fresh, straight through the beer lines that we're just serving it to people right there? Absolutely. Yes, oh you can. God. That's cool. And let's just see what happens. Yeah, and they ended up having a great time, and it was a connection there going, will we be supplying Exmouth breweries with hops? Probably not, but it's a great way to know that like it's there, and yeah, people yeah, desire yeah. it, and people are going, hops from WA, we brew WA beer, let's do something fun. But how lovely to get back to the basic ingredients of our food. Mm. See, that's the other thing. It's that connection where all our food comes from, and I class beer as food. <laughs> it's one of the major food yeah. groups in our yeah. household. Likewise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mine too, I have to say. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, and now we've got um, no alcohol beer as well, I see. Yeah, actually, so. interesting you bring that up because where I was saying we've, we're seeing hops in different things. Yep. Um, we sold some hops to... I 
Yes, a little cafe in Margaret River. And the guy is a, is a really cool fermenter. And he does some interesting things, but he did uh, kombucha, hop kombucha. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. And there is one on the market right now by Community Brew. They do a um, hop kombucha, but it's sing- it, no alcohol. Mm. And it's probably the best f- hop taste I've ever had. Wow. Because it was just pure and all you tasted was a really beautiful extraction of hop flavor yep. matched perfectly with the kombucha that they had and I yeah. still to this day think that that was one of the best usages of hops yeah. that then because alcohol is not for everyone yeah, yeah, and absolutely. this was just a really good way yeah. and um, we've seen them in desserts um, um, a restaurant in Fremantle bought mm. um, some hops from us and made a beautiful little dessert called hop jelly <laughs> And it looked like a small little pint of beer. It's, it was oh, beautiful. That's so it cool. Was hot, hot jelly with an apple foam, and that looked like the head. And it was um, gorgeous. That's, Love it. That's mm. clever. Hey, uh, you're an adventurous guy. Mm-hmm. Have you ever found any wild hops growing down in the southwest or in the great southern area from those days when there actually were like larger scale kind of farms around the place? Yeah, um, that uh, that was a that was a big part of our whole sort of journey as well. But yeah, my wife and I numerous times drive through this great sort of southwest, and um, one of the adventures that we still love to this day is getting into Pemberton and the tall forests and that whatnot. And remember driving by uh, Cary View Resort or Cary. Cary Valley or something. Yeah, Cary yeah. Valley Resort, yes. Yeah. And right at the very sort of western tip of it is a road called Hop Garden Road. And it, the car literally, the brakes automatically <laughs> went on, went into reverse and just headed up this road. And I remember feeling very depleted after doing numerous laps around, and around the road and not seeing any hops and yeah. not seeing a hop farm or something. And I just thought, wow, you know, and a bit very disappointed. Wind that forward a couple of years. I remember being back on the same road, but it was summer. And I already knew what I was looking for at that point in time. And yet, lo and behold, they grow wild there on Hop Garden Road. Um, So I think it was 1979, the Bunn family harvested their last amount of commercially viable hops when Swan Brewery went to pelletized hops in Canningvale. And it, it, it folded overnight. Again, it was something that then just wasn't going to continue. That land was left fallow for quite some time. The hops went feral, and then it was sold. And I'm probably going to get this wrong. I want to say the orange people, if that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not red, orange, correct? I do remember Um, that, yeah. A group of people living sort of communal existence off the land. They bought the land? Yeah, I think it was a a kind of international movement, and some came over here and set up shop down that way. Ah, yes, 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 I remember that. Is orange people correct? Yes. And I'm not... uh, Well... I think so. Well, yeah, because that's... They wore the, the orange they clothes. Wear. Yeah, the yeah. cloth. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There's probably a better name for these beautiful people, <laughs> and it's, it's just escaping me right now. But um, they bought the land and obviously didn't utilize the hops in any way either. But hops are, as you know, as we've talked about, and plants in general are very just um, at home, uh, under the ground, above yeah. the ground. And Anything they just, with a rhizome, I think, will just stay in a happy place until conditions are right, and then it's mm. Woompa. Yeah, yeah, so right. they stayed in that happy place. And so I remember climbing up these carry trees and harvesting some wild hops. Oh, wow. And that was a brew for myself. And um, I just thought, you know what? Um, when I do make this thing happen, I'm going to come back here in the dormant season because you're not supposed to sort of go down and dig up rhizomes any old time during the year. 
unhealthy for the plant. You know, you don't want to really hurt it. So um, we waited till the time was right. And I just, just sort of X marked the spot because it's a little bit more hard to find. And um, you could see them living in this place for quite some time. Wow. So dug those up and actually transported those. I think I dug up, I mean, the rhizomes were actually bigger than my arm, whereas rhizomes that I were used to were about like <laughs> fingerlings, I guess, if it was a fish. But yeah, they were about my arm size. And I just remember thinking, I don't even know if what's going to happen. I had yeah. no idea. I put them into the ground and I reckon within a month they just leapt out of the ground and all of a sudden they were being tended to and watered on a regular basis, <laughs> giving them it. something to grow and they just thrived. And to this day, we don't call them anything other than Pemberton Wild Blend, although they probably are what Arthur Bunn, and that was, goes back to what we were mentioning about sharing of knowledge. They used to do that. Mm. So Arthur Bunn, you know, wrote journals and made it public to people. That's why we still have it today. And he was telling, hey, this is the best hop to grow here. I've already done the research for you with different varieties. Golden cluster is the go. And um, that's what was the basis of Swan Draft. So we're pretty sure it's that, yep. especially getting it analyzed. But it's really tricky as we've talked about terroir and things they don't test like other clusters but they look like if it looks like cluster and it smells like cluster it's probably <laughs> cluster. probably gonna be a cluster yeah <laughs> so yeah we've planted them and to this day they are the first out of the ground they're the first to the top and they are the first harvested really so they're pretty strong all those oh. years in the wilderness have uh, given them some muscle Hundred yeah, percent, yeah. And yeah. I know now. I'm pretty sure Wild Hop Brewing went and grabbed some as well. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, kind of word is out, and that's great. I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because then they, then we'll always have them. You know, that sharing of plant material means that you've always got them. It's like the really old heritage fruit trees that are no longer available. It's only that we've got people, mostly on farms. I have to say that have had. You know, they've got fruiting trees that have been there for 80 years. And so they've taken cuttings or they've grafted them and they've given them to their kids. And, you know, we had, we had a listener once who's got the same asparagus plant for 80 years. Everyone in the family has been given asparagus crowns, you know, every, every five years. They keep spreading them so that really old heritage variety is still... In in the sort of yeah. gathering, it's pretty gathering special. Phase. Yeah. yeah, yeah, make it think a little differently when you see a plate of asparagus next to your steak on oh, the right. on the plate, right? Come think. from a bloody old crown. Yeah. Something beautiful. I do like yeah. that. And we're not alone. I think there's, um, because this is a new, and I'm probably using the wrong word when I say, I mean, one of our s slogans is hop on board the revolution, but it's, um, it is a movement and we're, and we're not alone here in Western Australia and even Australia. Small hop farms are very much more common now than they've ever been. The states proved it. They probably went too many and then they're contracting a little bit um, but here in Australia there are um, some newer friends of ours over in um, it's called Bimboka in or Bimboka in New South Wales they've now as they started just like sort of we're starting rather small they've then taken that next step to go you know what we can do this on a really large commercial scale um, other people in New South Wales, even Queensland are proving, can you grow hops in Queensland? Yes. And um, when we were talking about those varieties, there's a gentleman in, I think it's the Adelaide Hills, but it might be around Adelaide. Um, and he has a variety that he calls Jake's Gold. And he found it growing wild down near a river. Right. 
And lo and behold, is it probably a golden cluster because it goes golden? It yeah, could yeah, be. Yeah. It could be. <laughs> but the idea that then it was just left to do its thing when probably, you know, your West End bitters or those um, Southwark, I think, those, those yeah. Adelaide beers, they would have used that, you know, and that yeah. would have been hops from there for that beer yep. then left to go do whatever it did when they started getting hops from somewhere else. I, I just want to ask you one last thing too about you obviously got what you're going on in uh, in Caradale, but you mentioned growing hops uh, in Doubleview, kind of at your place. Would you do you reckon you're one of the only people growing hops kind of at their house in the suburbs? Are we going to see a few more people maybe starting to to pick that up with more home brewers coming on board and things like that? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't see it a lot. Yeah. Like I don't see it a lot. But I do know just from my own um, now in regards to plant sales and rhizome sales. I know there's a lot of home brewers out there doing it because <laughs> yeah, right. I've sold a few. Okay. Um, there's a gentleman in Bridgetown, Chris, and he's. I think he calls himself Southwest Hops. That's what one of his focuses is. So instead of maybe focusing on, I want to sell hops, his is, I would love to propagate the rhizomes and sell Ah, rhizomes. And I know he sells out every year. I would suspect there's a lot of homes right now, somewhere right now as well, halfway up their little trellis or halfway up their barn, um, growing right Mm. here in WA. And yes, are they probably home brewers? Yes, and that's just even better because it's someone's growing some hops. Because the reality is the malt's from here as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. most of the malt is gro- or the barley is grown right here. Now, for the most part, it gets shipped all the way over to Melbourne, malted, and then shipped all the back. way back. But it's a Western Australian product, and it's pretty cool to think that home brewers are doing it. Growing their own stuff. There might be a, a little hop farm next door to you in the suburbs, and you don't know you about don't it. don't even know. Got some room for some hops out the back, Sam? I, I, I actually have. There we I, go. I'd love to give it a go. Uh, they're on their way. Ah, <laughs> sensational. Hey, Trey, it's so good to see you. And uh, I look forward to having a beer with you again soon. Absolutely, Jamie. Thanks. And very nice to meet you as you well. You too, Trey. I'm going to get some of your rhizomes. <laughs> yes, you will. And plants now. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And the actual plant. Sounds good. Ripper. It's Sabrina Hahn, and this episode is brought to you by our very dear mates at Bentonite WA, who make very high-grade premium calcium bentonite clay, which is 100% West Australian owned and operated. So uh, you only need a very small amount, 3 to 6% in your garden bed. It's all through my garden bed. So check them out, bentonitewa.com.au. 